1 John chapter 3, I'll be reading 14 through 18, and as we get ready to go into this message here, um, this is a message probably to do it justice, this is not a message I will preach, I'll probably teach it more than I preach it, I don't know the difference entirely. One person said preaching is yelling and teaching is telling, so I may yell while I tell and preach and teach at the same time here. But this is a, it's a thought that I've, I've had for a number of months here, about three or four months, I've contemplated, thought about this, and it's a, an application of, of biblical truth, it's an application of the Bible, and um, spent a lot of time talking with my wife, kind of talking through this and what it looks like, but I believe it's a very, very powerful message in terms of its application to our lives, all right? The name of the, the message this morning is Love's Litmus Test. Love's litmus test. In other words, as a litmus test for love, how can you know if you genuinely love? How can we know that God genuinely loved us? How can we know that? How can we know if we are God's people that we are genuinely expressing our love one toward another? Love's litmus test. Interestingly, John, uh, the apostle, just levels very clearly and gives a lot of revelation on how we can know. Notice with me 1 John chapter 3 Verse number 14. <clears throat> we know, John said, that we have passed from death unto life. Interesting. He said, we know. This is how we know that we've gone from the world to the kingdom of God. The way we know from being, from being lost to being saved. From death unto life. Here's how you know. Because we love the brethren. That's how you can know you're saved. If you love the brethren. You say, well, pastor, I've obeyed Acts 2 and John 3, and I've been born again, which is good. But I don't want to just get saved. I want to stay saved. Amen. Amen. One of the attributes of knowing that I'm saved is what is my relationship with the family of God? Now, John's a straight shooter just like James is in the Bible. And John, he laid it out there and just pretty much said one, one of the attributes that you can know that you're right with God and living for God, you've gone from death unto life, is that you love the brethren. You love the family of God. He that loveth not his brother, John said, here's the litmus test, abideth in death. If I don't love my brother, I abide in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, <clears throat> and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby... Perceive we the love of God. Here's how we can know the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then he gets even more practical. He gets right to where we live. Whoso hath this world's good. In other words, we're, we've been you know, blessed bountifully. We have the capacity and the ability. If we've been blessed with this world's good. And seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth, John asked the question, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If I have the ability to meet a need, I don't meet that need. How in the world could I really genuinely say that I, I love God, the love of God is in me? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love's litmus test. Would you pray together with me, the Lord will bless his word to us today. Jesus, thank you so much, God. We are humbled, Lord, and we think about how far you have brought us, the kindness, the generosity, the benevolence, Lord, that has brought us to the place in life that we're in. We are swimming in blessing everywhere that we look, and we thank you for that. We are living our lives in gratitude for the goodness of God in our life. 
I just pray, Lord, with this message, it's a very simple and a very practical message, but I pray, Lord, help us to hear it, help us to understand it, but most importantly, help us to facilitate it and live it in our lives, O oh God, what love is, the love that has changed us. Help us, God, to exemplify it to a world that needs changing and help us to love the way that you have loved. And I pray that your scripture would be clear to us and help us to understand it in a greater way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you. you may be seated this morning. Thank you. I have shared it, and uh, I hope, uh, you know, one way to keep the things of God alive in your life is to never forget your testimony. So, of course, I have the pulpit, which maybe gives me a uh, unique blessing to be able to share that more often than some. But um, <clears throat> I have shared the overwhelming sense that when I came to God at 15 years of age, I came into a Pentecostal church, and... Um, I was not raised Christian, really. I mean, I had a grandmother that, that took me to church when I was a kid, some. And my parents uh, now and then would frequent a Methodist church. We would, go, <clears throat> we would go Christmas Eve to a candlelight service, which was really cool. We would do that once a year and maybe once or twice. A couple other times a year, we, we would go to church. So I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And uh, my home, we came to a place in my mid-teenage years that... My parents' marriage was on the rocks. Uh, they were uh, prepared to divorce. My mother bought an apartment. They were done. They were through. But all through that time, we had a relative, my Uncle Bob, who had, uh, was close to our family, relatively speaking, and, and would invite us to church now and then. And he was that crazy Pentecostal guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like church church guy. He was. They were it. And... Uh, Aunt Brenda, you know, she wore dresses and stuff, and that was like crazy what, you know, the kids did. And they, they were, but there was something about them. We knew there was a glow, there was a specialness about their life, and they would invite us to church now and then, and we just more or less didn't come. In fact, one time, my parents were uh, gone for a weekend, and my Uncle Bob and Aunt Brenda babysat my sister and I, and Uncle Bob brought us to church on that Sunday. And when we came home, uh, my parents came home rather. They looked at my, my uncle. My dad looked at my uncle. Remember my dad, the Green Beret? My dad, the eat rattlesnakes for breakfast. Chuck Norris's twin brother. <clears throat> my dad, you know what I'm talking about? Guy that can pull the belt out like Zorro, you know, bad to the bone. He looked at my, my uncle and said, Won't you ever take my kids to that church again? Until they got in trouble. Until they needed help in their life. And so they started coming. My uncle invited us to a friend day. He showed up. My dad was a business owner, and uh, he showed up at my dad's office, and he had a, a piece of paper there for friend day. I don't know if he just made it up or what he did, but he, it was his strategy, and he took that piece of paper, and he slid it across my dad's desk, and he said, we got a friend day, and I want you to come to that friend day, and I want you to sign on the dotted line. My dad was like, oh, I can respect that. So he did, and we came to our first Signed a little deal there. We came to our first friend day, and that was literally, that was the day. That's why I love big days and special days. And, oh, God, help us to get back to big days pretty soon. We can invite all kinds of our neighbors and friends and coworkers and, and family members and all that. Because I came to, first time I came to a Pentecostal church that I remember was a friend day. 
And it set in motion something that, that changed my family, changed my mother, changed my father. My mother would come to service and she just, she loved the worship and the singing and the presence of God that would move and it brought comfort and peace to her life. And I watched as God began to bring my parents' marriage back together. Um, I had visited a few times and candidly I knew, man, first of all, you people were nuts. Amen. Clapping and singing and raising your hands and I'm like, man, these people are freaky. This is freaky. But uh, I knew it was real. I knew God was in the place, but I was like, the way you people lived and the way I lived were entirely, completely incompatible. And I would look at you people and think the way they're living is not a way that I could live. I could not. I just can't see it. I couldn't see myself living like these people live. I mean, you know, how boring. How do they, I mean, no fun. And I didn't realize that God didn't come to take away our fun. He came to take away our pain. Amen. Amen. And the only things, quote, unquote, that I thought were fun that were being taken away were really the things, unfortunately, that were dismantling my life and making my life a mess and making my life a pain and making my family not work. So when God took away my sin, amen, it made all the difference in my life. And so I never will forget, so I, you know, I was kind of coming around church, but I was like, you know, I can't live like these people live, it's freaky, I don't think I can do this, but conviction was thick upon my life, thinking about this, and I would think about it throughout my day, and I'd, my parents would be going to church, they'd say, you want to come to church? No, I don't think I want to come to church, I don't want to come to church, I'm not, you know, I'm, I just don't see it working, I don't think so, until one night when uh, mom and sis were going to be baptized, and on that Sunday night, January the 11th, 1987, mom and sister get baptized and invited me to come. And, you know, I, I said I don't want to. I don't know how many times. And she was persistent enough to, to um, talk me into coming that night. I came that night, the presence of God. All I can say is at the end of that service, the presence of God moved. I don't remember what the preacher preached. I don't remember anything that was said. All I remember is the presence of God invaded my life in a powerful way. And that's why I'm so thankful for the presence of God. I'm thankful for Pentecost. Come on, church. I'm thankful for Pentecost. And it's, it's not all about feeling. We know that. But listen, truth is validated with feeling. It doesn't mean feeling is truth. It means but truth will bring an affirmation and a confirmation of the reality of the truth of God. This isn't some just dead religion. And I'm so thankful for that, that it's not a dead religion but it's a living God that works through his living presence to show himself to us that he is alive. And if he is alive, we can be alive in Christ. We can be changed. We can be better. We can be what God wants us to be. And so when I, in that service that Sunday night, the presence of God overwhelming in me, I'm 15 years old and I, I didn't know what to do. And I'm standing there probably about three rows back on the right-hand side, if I remember right, and I was standing there. And I don't know, I don't know how, how, what do you do? Feeling the presence of God, and I just began to weep in the presence of the Lord, just weeping. And I closed my eyes, and I'm just gripping that, probably that pew, and I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm weeping. And, of course, when I looked up, you know, one thing about a Pentecostal church, if you're vulnerable and you want God in your life, we are going to gang up on you. I am, I am just warning you. 
If you're a guest that are here, that is here this morning, is your first, second, third, fifth time, we are after you. We may try to be as discreet as we know about it, but we are after you. And you know why we're after you? Because Jesus is after you. The Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. We better leave that alone or this is going to be four hours. But so in the presence of the Lord, I'm, I'm, I didn't know what to do. And I look up and I look around and, of course, the, the, you know, the Holy Ghost huddle, all the, the, the people are, are there and they're just, oh, they're just praying. They're praying for me. And, they're, and I was like, man, I don't even know what to do. And I look up and I'm just weeping in the presence of God. And the youth pastor looks at me and he says, do you want to be baptized? And I said, yes, I want to be baptized. And uh, when I went down in the water, I came back up. It began a revolution in my life that from that day, literally that was the day that my life was going one direction, and it turned and went in a complete different direction. And I am where I am today because of what happened that exact moment on January the 11th, 1987, when Jesus showed up in my life, come on, somebody, and changed my life. And he did the same for you. He did the same for you. Now, here's the thing. As I, as I was, I, I never will forget, and I go back to this time many, many times. I, I, I don't ever want to get far from this, Paul. I don't want to get far and ever forget that, that moment there. It was 33 years ago, but it still, it still feels fresh to me, believe it or not. And I go back to that moment again and again. And what was it in that moment of time, that sensation, that, that comfort, that what, what was the sense that I had at that moment when Jesus changed my life? I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the love of God. It was the love of God. All I can tell you, 15 years of age, frustrated, angry, depressed, bad relationships, problems in my life, and I'm weeping in the presence of God, and I've described it. It was like God took a scrub brush to my soul. And when I got done, it was like, it was the love of God. It was the love of God that absolutely changed my life. What I would say here to all of us in terms of a reminder that that love of God is no small gift. It is the greatest gift that any human being can ever experience to know and be affirmed and confirmed that God loves me. To be loved by God. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I am so thankful today for the love of God that changed my life. My daughter, we were, um, of course, it's been Thanksgiving season. We had a, how many had a good Thanksgiving? We had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. Well, you are what you eat. If that's the case, I am one great big fat turkey. I've ate more turkey than we had turkey for dinner than afternoon. Better than turkey for dinner is, is turkey sandwiches. Turkey, what you do is you take those that turkey and you put cheese on it. And you put it in the microwave and you warm up the turkey and the cheese until the cheese melts on the turkey. Uh-huh. Then take that and you put it on fresh white bread. And then you put about a quarter inch of Miracle Whip on that. Not mayonnaise. Not mayonnaise. Listen, 
Miracle whip. If you're going to be spiritual, it's miracle whip. Okay. <laughs> it is the will of God. It was aptly named. So anyway, so uh, we'd eat our sandwiches, and by the afternoon, when the afternoon rolled around, I said, oh, my goodness, we need, we need pie. And there was no pie. Nobody thought of pie. That's not an indictment. I'm just saying, pie. <laughs> Amen. My wife has been on a diet for a while, so God bless her. She made a wonderful dinner. Thank God for that. So pie, I'm looking around. I'm thinking, man, we need pie. We need, we're, 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 nothing's open. Walmart's not open. That can't be the will of God. I mean, Super One's not open. I called, I, I literally, I started going through the list. I called Holiday. I called, uh, where else did I call? M&H. I, you guys, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a, Casey's. Like, hey, do you guys have, like, uh, frozen pies? Like, uh, no. No frozen pies. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it had to be from God. I thought, you know what? We got a chest freezer out in the garage. I my wife said, no, there's no, there's no pile. I said, I'm going to go check. And I went out into that chest freezer, Corey, and I dug into it, and almost in the bottom of that chest freezer, I look, and there is a box. It is a Marie Callender, Marie Callender frozen wild berry pie, which is my favorite, which is exactly what I wanted. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. You can't picture this, but I ran into my living room and I danced around. I said, we have a pie, a wild berry pie. Yes. Let it go, Paul. Miracle whip. Give in, my brother. You must hear good doctrine, my friend. So we took that, and so, you know, if you're going to have pie, you got to have it a la mode. Uh-huh. Warm a la mode. Ice cream. So my daughters and I, we got in the car, and um, so we went and bought ourselves, went to M&H and bought some ice cream and came back home. And as we're sitting in the car, how many thankful for relationships? Aren't you thankful for relationships? We're sitting in the car, and we're talking about, you know, what God is doing in their lives right now. And, you know, as parents, it's so difficult because our kids, sometimes they have struggles and they have challenges. And, and the best thing you can do is make sure to teach them. And you teach them and pro provide parameters the best you know how. And, and love them is the most important thing. And love them and teach them. and love. Them. So we're sitting in the car there. And, uh, you know, they've had their challenges over the years. And we're sitting in the car and I'm hearing my children, my girls, talk about how God is showing them things. And he is working things in their life. And they're, they're praying and uh, my daughter, Brianne, shared a testimony with me. She's not well this morning. She's got a migraine. I think she's listening online. I, I asked her if she would share this, and she said that's not really her thing. But um, she did put it in words. I'm going to read to you what, what she told me the Lord has done for her, and I think it's pertinent to what we're talking about today. She said, I remember sitting in my room just feeling completely hopeless. She said, I was at a really dark and low point, and I remember thinking no one could ever love me, especially God because of how broken I was. Situations that happened, choices I made, I felt completely broken and worthless. Over and over in my head, I couldn't understand how he could ever love me after all of it, after everything that happened. And she said, and not even five minutes later, I came across Isaiah 54 and 10. As we were talking in the car there, she just spit the scripture out because it's her life scripture, I think. She just spit it out like that. She quoted it. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, 
nor my covenant of peace be removed, saith the Lord, who has compassion on you. She said, God gave her the scripture. She opened the Bible. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, saith the Lord who has compassion on you. And she said, it was literally like God told me that no matter where you're at, no matter how broken you are, no matter the choices you made, his love is literally unfailing. You're never too far. He has compassion. He sees the broken. He sees the mistakes. And he still loves you. Aren't you thankful for the love of God? I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't for the love of God, none of us would be here today. None of us would have hope in our life today if it was not for the love of God. But God commendeth, Romans 5 and 8 says, his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? When we had no value, there wasn't a lot we could do for him. Our lives were broken and shattered and messed up. And at a time that we didn't deserve the love of God, he was good enough that he demonstrated the love of God in our life. Not because we deserved it, but because he's a good God. And he loves us. And he wants us to serve him. And knows for that to happen, he must demonstrate that love toward us. She was 15. He was 17 when they met. All through high school they dated, and after high school it was not a surprise to anyone that they married. Four years later she was standing in her kitchen with a stack of dirty dishes piled in the sink. Two children screaming at her feet and a pile of dirty clothes in the corner. Tears streaming down her face full of depression. She took off her apron and she walked out on her husband and her two children. She called that night and asked the question, how are the children? He told her. She hung up the phone that night, but it wasn't long until she called back. She called almost every week, every day for the next three months. Her husband began to plead with her, please come home, I miss you. The children miss you. He would tell her how much he loved her. He would tell her how much he missed her. He would tell her how whatever he had done wrong, he would try to fix. And the last thing he would try to find out was where she was before she hung up. But every time that the conversation turned to her whereabouts, she would hang up in his face. Finally, the young husband could take it no longer. So he took out their savings and hired a private detective to help him to find his wife. That detective reported that he had found her. The runaway wife was in a third-rate hotel in Des Moines, Iowa. So the young man borrowed money from his in-laws and his family. He bought a plane ticket and flew to Des Moines, Iowa. After taking a cab to the hotel, he climbed the stairs to his wife's room in the sleazy hotel on the third floor. With doubt in his eyes, sweat on his forehead, he his trembling hand reached to knock on the door. As he began to knock, his wife opened the door. And when he saw her face, he forgot his prepared speech, and he simply said, and I quote, We love you so much, won't you please come home? She fell apart in his arms. They went home together, and the marriage began to heal. Weeks later, one evening, some weeks after all of this had transpired, the children were in bed and he and his wife were sitting in the living room talking about the problems and how they were going to fix them. And finally, he got up the courage to ask the question that had haunted him for so many months. He asked, why couldn't you come home when I asked you? Why couldn't you come home when I asked you? Why didn't you understand how much me and these kids missed you and loved you? And with profound simplicity, she answered him and said, and I quote, because before those were only words, but then 
you came. She said before those were only words, but then you came. It was the visit of the husband that made the difference to the wife that had given up on life. And then you came. I've come to remind us this morning, thank God today that he came he gave us words, and he, he wooed us with love, and he gave us words, and we thank God for that. But then he came. He came from heaven to earth. He came from the glory of the throne room of God above into a lowly place called Bethlehem where he was born to the world, and he came to the world to let us know that I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank God that he came. He came. The love of God. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you, and if you'll allow me, I want to excise just three words. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8. 1 John 4 and 8. Notice what it says. He that loveth not knoweth not God. If I don't love, I don't know God. That's what it says. Notice the last three words. For God is Love. Can you say that together with me? God is love. God is love. Now, another favorite apostolic Pentecostal scripture to us, we love 1 Timothy 3.16. I'm just going to read the beginning part of that verse. Some of you can quote it. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Amen? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It begins the beginning part of that, and he says, God was manifest in the flesh. Not a second person in a trinity. Come on, somebody. Not another person, but the God of the Old Testament so loved us so much that he got condescended in bodily form in a little baby born at Bethlehem. God was manifest in the flesh. That invisible, almighty, immaterial, omnipresent, omnipotent, almighty God was manifest in human form in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Can you say that with me? God was manifest in the flesh. Okay, now watch. So 1 John 4 and 8 says God is love, right? God is love. Timothy 3.16 says God was manifest in the flesh. So allow me to say it like this. I'm going to marry those two verses together. God is love, and God was manifest in the flesh. So allow me to say it like this. Love was manifest in the flesh. Love was manifest in the flesh. Love said, I've got to exemplify. I've got to show. Because love, this is the, the thesis of my message this morning, love, if it is genuinely love, must be manifest in the flesh. Love must be expressed. If it is really love, love has got to be expressed. It's got to be exemplified. It's somehow or another. Thank God that God loves so much that he showed us that he loved us. And he manifested that love to the world. And thank God for it because every one of us that are here today, our lives are changed. Because love was manifest in the flesh. Love 
showed itself to us. Uh, love exemplified itself to us. Uh, love said, I love them so much uh, that I've got to show it to them. Uh, because if I don't show it to them, they're never going to know that I love them. And God expressed his love. Thank God. Thank God. So love, if it is genuine, must be expressed. That is my message this morning. Love, if it is genuine, must be expressed. That is love's litmus test. The test to know, do I love? The way I can know is my love manifesting itself. Is it exemplifying itself? Because God's love expressed itself and manifested itself in the flesh so that people could know, so that it could be felt and touched and known. Love was manifest in the flesh. Probably the most recognized Bible verse in the world, John 3 and 16. We could probably all quote it today. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he, hold on a second, that he, God so loved the world that he, did nothing. God so loved the world that he played it safe. God so loved the world that he said, I'm not going down there with them slimy people. Those people are messed up. God loved the world so much that he said, no, I can't go down there and do that, that he stayed silent. God loved the world so much that he didn't get involved. Is that what God did? No. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he condescended from heaven to earth. God so loved the world that he came from the beauty, the glorious presence of all the angels that adored him. In that place in heaven above, and he came to a mangy manger and was born in the form of a baby. God so loved the world that he healed the leper. God so loved the world that he taught the word of God to people that were undeserving. Come on, that's us, folks. God so loved the world that he forgave the woman that was taken in adultery. God so loved the world that he showed his love to the world. And he demonstrated his love to the world. And he expressed his love to the world. And he said, I love you so much that I'm going to be pure and perfect love. And I'm going to manifest. I'm going to express. I'm going to show the whole world that I love them by hanging on a brutal cross at Calvary. And my blood is going to flow. And they're going to know that I love them because I'm going to show them. And so thank God. My message today is I would argue that love to be genuine must be expressed. Can you really love and not manifest that love? Can you love and, and not show, genuinely show and allow that love to shine through us? Thank God God so loved that he gave. He gave us the Holy Ghost. He gave us forgiveness of sins. You look around and swivel your head, the wonderful family God gave you. God gave you a beautiful family. God gave you a wonderful spouse. God gave you a good job. Come on, somebody. God loves you so much. 
God gave you a new mind. God gave you a clean record. You should be in prison right now. Brother K would, if he was here, he'd amen me. Four-time loser to one-time winner in Christ, looking at a life sentence. But God stopped that life sentence, brought him out of, the, out of sin, out of the prison house, and made him a great preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God gives, and God gives, and God gives. It's the nature of love. The nature of love is to give, and the nature of love is to express that love. All of us are what we are today. Anything that is good in us is a result of that wonderful love of God. So the question that I have is, what is the one irrefutable, uncontestable evidence that I am a Christian? What is the one irrefutable, uncontestable, uncontestable evidence that we are Christians? I'm so glad you asked. John 13 and 34, notice what he says. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The irrefutable evidence of Christianity is not just our doctrine. It's not just what we, it's not only what we believe. It, it, the irrefutable evidence of Christianity, he says, at least in part, the whole world is going to know that we walk with Jesus and love Jesus. The greatest evangelism program on the, on the planet in the history of the world, you know what it is? We're going to knock doors and we'll do that, thank God. We'll fill up our Sunday school buses. We'll do that. We're going to teach Bible studies. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. That's going to make a difference in people's lives. We'll hang up door hangers, and you know what? That's a good thing. But you want to know what he said, the greatest evangelism program in all the world, is you get a church full of people that are loving each other the way Jesus loves us. If God's people are loving one another in a true and living sense, he said all the world is going to look at the church and say, my goodness, those are Christian people. People right there. They're Christian people. Wow, look at the way they love one another. Look at how they care for one another. And the Bible says the whole world shall know we are his disciples. If we have love one toward another. So here's where we're going to put our thinking cap on and we're, we're going to do a little Bible study here today. We're going to have to think about this now, okay? By this shall all men know that you are his disciples, right? He said, if you love one another. How are they going to know that we love one another? So is love just a warm and fuzzy feeling? I mean, if you watch the movies, that's all that it is. I mean, and it is that. I mean, thank God that we can feel the love of God. We, we are grateful. We're grateful that, you know, there is a feeling that comes with that. But how do you know? If the whole world is going to look at the church and say, well, man, that's a Christian church right there. You can tell those people love each other. How are they going to know when they evaluate the church and say, wow, that church loves each other? How would they know that? Is that a fuzzy feeling? How, 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 are they, how is the whole entire world going to know that we love one another? It's action. Because love is manifest in the flesh. And the love of God that came into our life, guess what? God wants to manifest his love through our flesh now. God needed a body. Come on. God needed a body at Bethlehem, but he needs a body in Grand Rapids. 
Yes, he needs a body in Grand Rapids. He had a body at Bethlehem where he was man- love was manifest in the flesh. And now there's not just one Jesus. There's millions of Jesus that have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that are part of the body of Christ now that can show the world the love of God. How do we do that? By manifesting and showing and exemplifying and demonstrating the love of God. That's how the world's going to know that we're Christians, not just because we go to church but because we have manifested the love of God. We have shown the love of God. What he's meaning, if you read between the lines, I mean, you got to look at it. By this shall all men know your mind disciples, if you have love one toward another. What does that mean? If we have love one toward another, what does that look like? What does a church full of people that love one another look like? Praise the Lord. Thank God. Amen. I am preaching to the choir. It is. It is exemplified in this church. What does that mean, though? What does that look like? There are two things I want to talk about. Number one, I believe that the love of God is manifested by our words. Our words can manifest the love of God. You know, there were times that Jesus would speak. He would speak to people words that they needed to hear at the right time. The right words would demonstrate to that person that he loved them. Remember when he looked at Simon Peter and he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. He gave him a word of affirmation. Good job, Simon Peter. Well, it's a good thing that he gave him a word of affirmation because he also gave him words of correction. And if you're going to get corrected, you also need, you know, some attaboys now and then. I mean, Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You think your pastor's rough sometimes. He looked at Peter and said, get behind me, devil. The devil's using you. You need to shut your fat mouth because your fat mouth is just, you're speaking for the devil. Get thee behind me, Satan. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Sorry, Jesus. But then he could turn around and say, but blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Good job. Good job, Simon. You nailed it. You got the the revelation right. You got the important things right. Isn't it amazing one of the last things he says that Peter, of course, that had blown it so bad, and I'm so thankful we've got a God that even in our mess, he is merciful in our mess. And still, when we mess up, I'm not using this as an excuse. None of us have an excuse to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's not what I'm talking about. But there are times that in our mess, uh, in our mix-up, you know what we need to hear? We don't just need to hear condemnation and damnation. What we need to hear is a sense of hope. And Peter is there in his mess. Here is the guy, that the famed preacher of Pentecost. Do you know before Pentecost, he's cursing and swearing? He's by a fire. They're like, don't you know who he is? He said, I don't know the man. And the Bible says he curses and he swears. You talk about blowing it extra, mega, big time. And yet when Jesus Christ resurrects from the dead, he tells the two ladies at the tomb, go and tell them that I'm resurrected. And he said, and by the way, go and tell Peter. Go and tell Peter, because you know what? Peter is going to need a special encouragement in his life right now. Peter has blown it so bad that Peter needs a word of exhortation. Peter needs a word that's going to encourage him. And thank God there are times that when we blow it, you know what we need to hear? We need a word of affirmation from God. I haven't given up on you. It's not over in your life yet. He's a good God, and he'll still work with you if you'll let him work with you. Amen, but he demonstrates his love toward us. Oftentimes, thank God for that by the words that he speaks to us. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit in this church. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe the Spirit of God manifests in supernatural fashion 
and shows us and demonstrates to us his reality. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are. If you look in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 are the gifts of the Spirit. But you know nestled in between those two gifts of the Spirit chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. What is 1 Corinthians 13? Corinthians 13 is all about the love of God. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the gifts of the Spirit are there to demonstrate and manifest the love of God to us. Anytime there's a gift of the Spirit that operates, it's to show the love of God to the body of Christ. That's why the word of knowledge is important. You know what the word of knowledge is? Have you ever been maybe in a time of prayer or an altar service and you're going through something in life and somebody comes up alongside of you, maybe puts an arm on your shoulder and begins to pray with you and they start speaking words and coming out of their mouth are words that you know are directly from God and God's speaking to you about things that nobody else could know about. That's called the word of knowledge. You know why you get a word of knowledge? You get a word of knowledge because there's times that God says, and this is the overwhelming feeling. When you get a word like that, how do you feel when you get a word like that? You're like, man, God cares about me. Man, God knows right. That's, that's unbelievable. It may not be anything hugely revolutionary or revelatory, but it's an affirmation. God's letting you know, listen, I know right where you're at. I understand. I know right where you're at. And you're like, oh, my goodness, thank God. He knows. Nobody else could know that, but God knows that. You know why? The gifts of the Spirit are a manifestation of the demonstrated love of God. The, the gift of the Spirit, the word of knowledge when it comes alongside of you is to let you know, hey, God's saying, hey, I love you. I know where you're at. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to take care of this. It's a demonstration of his love when he speaks to us. If there are times when you're praying and a word from God comes to you, what is the overall, oh, thank you, Lord, the overwhelming feeling, thank God he knows where I am. He knows where I'm at. Sometimes the word of God will, as it's coming across the pulpit, the word of God will hit you right where you're living. You're like, oh, my, thank God he knows where I am. He has a word for me. Thank God for that. I would argue this morning that one way that the, that the love of God is manifested is by our words. Notice Hebrews 10.25, a passage we are very familiar with. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but notice what he said. Go to church. We do church. Don't not do church. Amen. And in fact, if you don't go to church, you're sinning. That's just free. I had to get confrontational. I'm preaching about the love of God. I've got to have a little confrontation now and then. It is true. If you read your Bible, Hebrews 10, 25, 20, it says, forsaking out the assembling of yourselves together. 26 says, for if we sin willingly, there remains no, no sacrifice for sin. If we sin willfully. If I willfully say, I'm just not going to church, you're in trouble. That's free. But, okay, so here we go. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, as manner of That's what some people do. But he said, notice what he said, but when you church, when you go to church, Sunday morning, pretty soon Sunday night, life groups, when you church, when you gather, you have a prayer meeting, you gather together God's people, you get together with them. Notice what he said. But exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Exhort one another. What in the world does that mean? New Living Translation, watch. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. He's saying that. We go to church, but one of the things we do when we go to church is we encourage one another. 
That's part of church. And that's, man, that's stupid COVID. It's going to be over. In Jesus' name, it's going to be over. In Jesus' name, it's going to be over. It's, it's going to pass. This too shall pass. It's going to pass. I hate this COVID. One of the things I love about our church is when a service is over with, it's a little harder with these parameters and, and whatever. We still do, but whatever. But one of the great advantages I love, one of the signs of a healthy church, you know what it is? Signs of a health, one of the signs of a healthy church is good altar services. Where's Wild Willie on the organ? I need a Wild Willie. We need an organ. We need a B3 right now. Come on, somebody. Come on, good altar services. They matter. Let me tell you the second thing that happens. After a good altar service, when people stick around after service and the ushers are standing there like, okay, and an hour goes by and people are fellowshipping with one another and encouraging one another. Let me tell you what that is. That's a sign of healthy people, healthy spiritual people. Because he said you come to church, but listen, all of us, we come to church, we ought to have a praise on our lips and we ought to have an encouragement also on our lips for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a praise on our lips, and we have an encouragement on our lips. Those are the two things that you bring to church. Come on, I'm bringing my praise to church, but I'm bringing my encouragement to church because that's my job when I come to church, to encourage one another because I don't know what my brothers or sisters are going through this week, and they, they may be hobbling their way through the week, but, man, I can come alongside of them but say, hey, the Lord is with us. Hey, God's going to help you. Hey, do you need some help? I'll tell you what. I'll show up at your house this week. I'll help you with that, that project. Hey, I'm here for you. I want you to know you're not in this thing by yourself. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. How do we love one another? We love one another by the words that we say. Let me tell you something about words. Here's the thing about words. Words are free. They don't cost you nothing. Words don't cost you nothing. They really don't. Words don't cost us anything. Sometimes we can have the misguided idea that if I bless someone or say a kind word or encourage them, that somehow that takes something away from me. Listen, words are free. It doesn't cost me anything to be a blessing to someone else. It doesn't cost me a single, it, I don't have to peel out $100 bills out of my wallet. It doesn't cost me anything to just be there and be an encouragement to someone and to say a kind word and maybe bring a concept or an idea or a blessing verbally into their life. Amen. I thought about doing this because John did it, and I thought, you know, John was a pastor. I'm a pastor. Maybe I could do the same thing. John, if you read his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he says over and over, he uses two very warm phrases. He uses one word. He calls them beloved. Beloved, let us love one another. Beloved, beloved. And the other thing he, he called them was little children. My little children. And I thought about trying that, but I don't think it will work. My little children. Probably be, I'm not old enough yet, you know. John is at the end of his life. He's 80, 90 years old. And he, he sees that old, aged apostolic, and he's got a gnarled, gnarled hands and a gravelly voice. And he'd say, my little children, my little children, just, just love one another. And he'd been beaten for the gospel, and he'd lived the apostolic life his whole life. And he was an example of the goodness of God. And at the end of his life, he'd just say, my little children, my little children love one another. 
He spoke to them. Terms of endearment. Sometimes we can be afraid, well, man, if I, you know, if I say a, a compliment, they may get, you know, they may get cocky about that. Now, we are not talking about flattery, by the way. Somebody said amen. We're not talking about cheap, cheap flattery. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about genuine encouragement. Amen. Love expresses itself through our words. In your home, it's probably much like my home. We just, it's, it's the thing. You know, you can't hang up the phone without saying, love you, I love you. Hey, I love you. Hey, I love you. You know what? That's a good thing. I think it's a positive thing. Hey, I love you. I love you. Because we, we can verbally communicate love. And I would say, may it be the predominant sense in our homes, and may it be the predominant sense in the church. A warmth, not an aloofness or a coldness, a distant unapproachability, but a warmth, a love. And that's what God wants in the church. You know how many people that have finally made their way, and I thank God for it, they have finally made their way to River of Life Church, and I've heard their testimony. They've said, I've been to 15 churches. I've been to 10 churches. And when I came to that church, you know, I walked in the back doors, and the people just kind of turned around and looked at me like, what are you doing here? And then we went to another church. But, man, when we came to River of Life, wow, the people were so friendly. The people just, they were so loving. The people were so friendly. I say thank God for that. I salute you. Way to go, river of life. That's the, that's the spirit of God. And they finally made their home because they found a place where people love them. So notice 1 John 3 and 18. I'm going to read it in the Amplified and the New Living Translation. Little children, let us not love, in, in brackets, in the Amplified, it says merely in theory or in speech, but in deed and in truth, in practice and sincerity. New Living Translation says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. He's not saying that we shouldn't, with our words, say that, but he said don't let it be merely our words. In other words, don't let it only be our words because really that, that is, our words are, are free. Our words don't, they don't cost us anything. It doesn't, so it's a good thing, but it's the easiest way that we can bless one another is, is verbally. Is, is sharing words of encouragement. But he said, don't let it just be in word or in tongue. Don't let it be that alone. What did he say? He said, but let it, New Living Translation says, let it be by our actions. Someone said it earlier. So how's the world going to know that we love one another? The way we talk to each other and our actions. The world's going to look at people, the people of God helping one another. The people of God being in one another's corners. And he said, that is going to validate the fact that they genuinely love one another. What does that mean? Love to be loved must be expressed. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse number 24, the, the, uh, the surrounding circumstance of this passage of Scripture here is that saints in Jerusalem, are they're starving. They're, there's uh, an economic downturn that has hit Jerusalem. There is tremendous persecution in Jerusalem, and the saints that are in Jerusalem are struggling for their very lives. The apostle would travel church to church. He traveled to the churches in Galatia, and he traveled to Ephesus, and he talked about the Jerusalem saints. They're really struggling right now. They, they need our help. And literally, he would go church to church, and he would, he, would, he would get an offering from those churches to bless the saints that were in Jerusalem. That's the passage right here, what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8, 24. He says, wherefore, show you to them. Show the Jerusalem church, demonstrate to the Jerusalem church 
Show you to them and before the churches. Let it be an example to other churches. Notice what he said. The proof of your love. Wait a second. So love has proof? It's not just a warm and fuzzy feeling? Yes. In this case, the proof of their love was an offering to struggling saints that were in Jerusalem. In other words, their actions was a way that they could demonstrate the genuine love of God to other saints, other children of God that were struggling, that were in the church. He said, show them the proof of your love. Back to the same thesis of my message here, my, my, my teaching here this morning is that love, if it is genuinely love, must be expressed. We've got to express that love. We express it verbally. We express it visually. We say it and we show it. Our conduct, our works, and demonstration are the actions of manifested love. In other words, love, if it is real love, will express itself. Evie Hill was a, a black preacher in California. He pastored one of the largest Baptist churches in the country in California. During the civil rights era, the blacks were angry with him because he was fellowshipping with the whites. In the, in the city, the whites were angry because he was running with the blacks. When the whites were wrong, he'd tell them. He was a good prophetic pastor. He would tell them. And when the blacks were wrong, he'd tell them. He was not liked on either side. Both sides, different radical individuals of both parties, he would get threatening calls from different radicals that would threaten him with his life. One night, the phone rang, and E.V. Hill picked up the phone and began, uh-huh, yeah, yes, oh, okay, that doesn't bother me. Well, I'm not stopping. He hangs up the phone, and his wife asks him, you know, who was that? And he said, well, that was so-and-so, and they said tomorrow they're going to blow up my car. They ate, they went to bed. The next morning, while she was asleep, he got up very early, got ready, put on his suit of clothes, got ready to head to the church. He slipped through the room, he slipped down to the garage, and strangely, as he opened the garage door, he looked and the garage door was wide open and the car was gone. So he stood there for a moment and uh, trying to figure out what happened to his car, and as he looked down the street, coming down the road was his car. It came swiftly down the road, made a sharp turn into his driveway, pulled up into the garage, and behind the wheel was his wife. He said, what in the world are you doing in my car? And she said, after the phone call last night, I love you so much that if that car was going to blow up, I wanted it to be me before it was you, so I test drove your car. Evie Hill said... From that day to the day she died, he said, I never had to ask my wife if she loved me. That one act showed me. Though we said it daily, it showed me how much that she loved me. The love of God is demonstrated in our lives through our actions and the way that we act. It's the things that we do. It's words of encouragement, but it's also actions. Because when you love, you're going to protect. That wife said, I love my husband so much that I'll give my life for his life. I want to protect him. I'm thankful that we're in a safe church. That's the kind of church that we need to be in, a safe church. You know what a safe church is? A safe church is you know the saints of God have your back. They're not going to talk about you when you're down and out. 
They're, they're going to be in your corner. They're going to be willing to protect you. They're not going to backbite you. They're not going to push you back or push you down. But genuine love says, I, I'm going to protect them. That's my brother right there. You're not talking about my brother. That's my sister right there. I love them. You're not, you're not going to treat them that way. Something bad happens, you're going to be willing to kind of step in and say, no, real love says we're going to protect one another because that's how love is demonstrated. Love says that we protect one another. We take care of one another. We're not going to let the devil beat up on our brothers and sisters in Christ. That means if one of them is struggling, we're going to come along by their side and we're going to be willing to be there for them. We express the love of God. It's the nature of love. How do I express love? It's how I treat people. It's looking for practical ways to go out of my way to serve and to be a blessing to others. It's bringing people into, it's bringing the saints of God into my friend group. Oh, Jesus, help me. I feel like I don't have time to handle all of this. But you know what? Thank God we have friends. Friends are a wonderful thing. But we need to look around the church because this is the family of God. Maybe you see somebody that they're kind of maybe disconnected a little bit. We have our people we're cool with, and that's good. There's no problem with that. We have our friends. That's a good thing. It's a God thing. It's a blessed thing. But sometimes there's that person that doesn't have a friend that we ought to invite them into our friend group and say, hey, why don't you? you're a part of the body of Christ. Amen? It's good preaching right now. This is practical pastoring right now. This is how we have a strong church. So we don't have people just, you know, falling off the wagon like they just... What happened to so-and-so? I don't know what happened to so-and-so. Where are they? No, we all reach out, and we love one another, and we pull people in and say, come on, how are you doing? Man, we got people, I mean, I know this is COVID, but we got empty purple chairs. We got people that aren't here this morning. I know some may be sick, some may be online, but some that have been recently baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to ask ourselves the question. I was, uh, my daughter brought it up last night. Where's Trey? I thought, man, where is Trey? Trey got baptized. We got to pull him back in. Where's Trey? Because that's what love does. Love demonstrates. Come on. We're going to protect one another. We're going to care for one another. We're going to love one another because that's what the church does. The church protects one another. Amen. You know, it doesn't take a lot of a lot of time. I mean, words. You, you can buy, go buy a car, buy a $3 car. It's amazing. A $3 car can make a difference to somebody. This is just me, but, you know, cards are cool, but I don't, I don't like to just sign my name on a card. Here's a card and just sign my name. I like to write a couple of personal words. Why? Because I want that person to know they're valuable to me. I want you to know you're special, and here's the reason why. Underline a few things. You know what? Any of us can do that. I'm talking about demonstrating the love of God. Buying somebody's meal. Liking a post on Facebook. I mean, you may throw your finger out, but, you know, it'll be a worthy sacrifice. Maybe comment on somebody's wall. Let them know I'm thinking about you. Let people know their value to you. I know it's COVID, but oh, God, help us. Share a hug now and then. Pat someone on the back. You know, disinfect yourself before you do it, for God's sake, but whatever. You know, at some point, be there. Be a blessing. Show someone the love of God in their life. Stand together with me this morning. John said it like this. He said, little children love one another. He said, love one another. Church, love one another. He said, literally, you're going to know that you have passed from death unto life. How do I know I'm a, I'm a child of God? Do I love the family of God? Do I love the church? 
do I have in my heart the same love that Jesus showed me? Is it manifesting externally and outward toward other people? You know, there's that scripture that says, uh, you know, when that brother is destitute, it says he is destitute of, of food and raiment. And you say, be ye warmed and filled. <laughs> be ye warmed and filled. In other words, like, God bless you, man. <laughs> yeah, you only got food in your cupboard. God bless you. Hope it all works out. You're freezing your tail off 30 degrees below zero. You ain't got a coat. God bless you, man. You know, I heard Goodwill's got something. Maybe you want to check there. Now, what do we do? We step in. He said, how dwells the love of God in you if we just talk a good game? I don't want to just talk a good game. I want, to, I want to live this thing. If there's a kind word to be said, I want to say it. If there's a good deed to be done, I want to do it. I want to, I want to show that love of God. And here's the final scripture I read, Romans 5 and 5. It's a powerful scripture. Oh, I love being a Pentecostal church. I love it. I wouldn't be anything else for anything. All the money in the world. Pentecost. Power of the Holy Ghost. Convicting power of God. Goosebumps on your goosebumps. You walk into church, God letting you know that he's there. But watch. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. The love of God is shed abroad. The love of God. You know what the Holy Ghost will do for you? The it will take the love of God and distribute. The Holy Ghost will distribute the love of God inside of your heart and will give you the affection and the feeling and the blessing that you don't have on your own. I'm telling you what, this love of God, it comes from Him, and all it's got to do is just express itself through us. We're just the conduits. This isn't about what we can manufacture. It's about what the Holy Ghost can manufacture. And when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, you know what it's going to do? It's going to make you love everybody. You're going to love everybody. Man, I hate them. You're not going to hate them when you get the Holy Ghost. It's going to take that hate out of you. It's going to fill you with love. So what do you say, Church of the Living God? Let's be that kind of people. What do you say? Love's litmus test. Let's live the love of God by the words that we say and by the actions that we take. Hey, I'm going to be praying for you and really pray for them. Hey, I'm going to be there for you. Maybe, you know, the right hand doesn't have to know what the left hand's doing. Now and then you just send somebody some money. You just take care of a need. You just show up and you just be a blessing. You write a card. You send a text. You give a little bit of your time, a little bit of your time, and say, I just want you to know Jesus loves you and I love you. Do you need more love? You say, man, I don't know if I got that in me. Well, guess what? You don't have that in you. That's why you need the Holy Ghost. God, help me. God, help me. Lord, give me the love that I need in my life. Let's lift our hands together today, and let's, let's ask the Lord to do that for us, to us, and through us. Let's ask God to fill us up to brimming, overflowing, that we can be the children of God He wants us to be.